Life Audio. Today's episode deals with a common problem, and it's something that's been common since this psalm was written so many years ago. And that is this idea that while the people that are obedient and following God seem to suffer, the wicked seem to prosper. And the psalmist is experiencing exactly that. He's seeing the wicked prosper in his world where he is trying to really please God. And I think what we see in this psalm is a perspective shift that is going to affect us as well. So we're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, and then we're going to dive into today's episode. Stay tuned. Hey friends, welcome to the Hearing Jesus podcast. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? And how do you know the difference? Do you ever struggle to feel confident in your relationship with God and what he says in his word? Do you sometimes feel stagnant or like maybe you hit a wall in your spiritual life? Hey, I'm your host, Rachel Grohl, missionary, author, pastor, and life coach. And I have been there. I too was doubting God's voice in my own life. I felt insecure about my relationship with him, and I wanted to be obedient to what God was calling me to do, but I wasn't quite sure how to figure out what that was. I felt like I was wasting time trying to figure it out, and I just wanted a way to understand his will for my life. The answer for me was found in the pages of the scriptures, as I learned how to understand what they were actually saying. If you're ready to grow in your faith and to step confidently into the calling God has for you, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so that you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. Today we are starting on book three of the Psalms, and this will be Psalms 73 through 89. And just as a reminder, we are going through the Psalms, one Psalm a day, sometimes two a day, depending on the length of the Psalm. But essentially we're doing a devotional reading through the Psalms where I'm just offering a little bit of context, some background information, some history, some culture, just to kind of help you understand. Sometimes I think there are things that are lost on us if we don't have a good understanding of the world that was in existence at the time that this was originally written. And so far, it seems like it's been a blessing for a lot of you. It's certainly been a blessing for me. Each Monday, we send out a email that has a journaling prompt for each of these psalms to help you kind of process some of the information to get it from your head and into your heart. If you would like that, again, it's totally free. You can just sign up for the newsletter, the website, shehears.org. And right now what we're doing is the current episodes are what's coming to your inbox every week. If you would like previous episodes, we do have Psalms 1 through 50 ready. It's just a small little guided journal called God Beside Us, and that is only $5. It's in the resource section of the website, and that gives you links to each of the podcast episodes, it gives you a key verse and gives you a journaling prompt and some space to write. So if that's a something that I think, I think it would be a blessing for you, but if it's something you think that you would be interested in, you can feel free to check that out. And again, once we get to probably Psalm 100, we'll have these chapters in there as well, but they're totally free to you. Otherwise, those are just for the back journaling prompts if you miss those emails. So I'm going to be in Psalm 73. This is a Psalm of ASAP, and I will be starting at verse one. And again, I always read on the podcast from the NIV, unless you hear me say otherwise, I'll tell you if I'm reading from a different version. 
Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. And when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom I have in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you, but as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds." So like I said at the intro to today's episode, today we're discussing something that is really common to the human experience. Not that it's right, but it's something that we all struggle with. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in that place, but I've certainly been in that place where I have seen somebody that I know is behind the scenes just pure evil, and yet they seem to prosper. And we're over here, meanwhile, you know, clipping coupons and, uh, you know, just not, we're not in the same place and we're on the struggle bus. And not even now, I mean, there's been times throughout our lives where we've really been, you know, working hard and tithing and just feel like we're constantly getting hit with, you know, the car breaks down or one of the kids gets sick or there's an unexpected bill that comes in the mail. And yet you see these people that are pure evil, just thriving. And I myself have been guilty of just saying, man, like what the heck is going on? And what we see here in Psalm 73 is very much the same thing. I mean, there's a lot of language in here that is maybe a little bit hard to get through some of that, but if you really read it and understand the heart behind what he's saying, it's the same exact thing that we struggle with as believers today. And I think something that is pointed out in this psalm is something that's really helpful for us. That envy, I'm going to call it envy, that envy that we experience in in that sense of we're envious of how the wicked are prospering and and it seems like, man, they just keep getting more and more rich while we're like struggling and those kinds of things. Um, That envy can only be dealt with by being in God's presence. And that, again, I talk about this all the time, that authentic interaction with God is what's going to change things for us and change our perspective. 
And I think also another theme that we see in today's psalm is that sometimes we talk too much about the problem and too little about the resolution. And so that's what we're going to kind of hit on today. We're going to kind of point out some things that that maybe convict us a little bit, maybe challenge us a little bit. But I want to point that out because I think that's important for us to keep in mind as we go throughout today's psalm. This is one of the Psalms of Asaph, and we have 12 of those, and they don't really fall into a classical genre of the Psalms like some of the other ones do. Some scholars would call them wisdom psalms. Other scholars would call them lament psalms. Some would call them trust psalms. And, you know, again, there's lots of different categories that they could fall into. But the subjects tend to to place them in the wisdom column. And so even though, maybe you picked up on this already, even though this is a lament where he's lamenting and he's complaining and he's just pouring out his heart to God like, hey, this is not fair. By the end of the psalm, the way he handles it, the way he deals with his envy, the way that he resolves that lament, it could very well end up in the wisdom category because that offers wisdom to us and helps us understand how to deal with our own envy in those kinds of situations. So I would put it in the category of a wisdom psalm if I had to categorize it. Asaph is, who's the author of this psalm, is writing this psalm. We're in the beginning of book three. And what we're realizing is it's now time for a new perspective on Israel's life and the world that they're in. And so Asaph is one of David's Levitical directors. So remember the Levitical tribe, they were responsible for being the priests and sometimes the worship leaders within the temple. And so he is one of the Levitical directors. And you can read about that back in First Chronicles chapter 25. And the phrase, my portion, that we see in verse 26, it's alluding to the fact that the Levites did not receive a a land inheritance. So remember when all the tribes were divvying up the land, the Levites did not receive land because they were supposed to be taken care of by the rest of the tribes because their primary concern was the temple. And so what we read in the scriptures is that Yahweh was their portion. So when you read about portion, you have to think about this in the context of what land meant in that culture and what the absence of land meant in that culture, but how Yahweh was supposed to be their portion. And that was a representation of how much Yahweh trusted them to, to, and with the temple really, and the spiritual lives of Israel. And then we understand that this perspective has now shaped the theological viewpoint of the psalmist and he comes to realize that Yahweh is his only possession. So when he says in verse 25, whom I have, whom have I in heaven, but you, he's essentially saying like, you are the only thing I have. You, God, you are, you're it for me. You, I don't have land. I don't have anything, you know, concrete. I have you. And I think that is a really good place. I mean, for us to arrive at, not that we are going to be you know, giving everything we own away and joining ministry. But I think elevating the priorities of our lives to where we get to a place where we say, God, all I have is you, where we understand that that is the most important thing in our lives. And, you know, there have been other times um, in my life where I think maybe when I go back to times I've been hurt by various relationships or have suffered maybe grief or loss. And I think, okay, God, all I have left is you. 
Um, I Maybe I still had a roof over my head. Maybe I still owned land at that point. But relationally, I remember being in a place where I could say, okay, Lord, all I have left is you. And And I think maybe some of us have been at that place at some point in some way, shape, or form in our lives where we can really identify with that. We also have to remember where we're at at this point of Israel's history. So by the time we get to book three, we're now at a place where we are in the mess of Israel's history. I mean, it was really tragic and they had failed to keep the covenant and the the placement of some of the chapters that we're going to read in book three is addressing and wrestling with some of these theological implications because there's this voice of reassurance that's being offered to Israel because they're now exiled and they're exiled in a nation that is prosperous and arrogant and they are tempted to envy. So think about this, not only like we struggle with this envious of the wicked prospering, but they are in exile and they are seeing the wicked prospering. So not only have, are they able to observe this like from afar, just from a relational perspective, but they are observing this from the perspective of they are in exile at the hands of the wicked and they're seeing the wicked prosper. And so that adds an extra element, an extra dimension where it's a little bit heavier than perhaps what you and I experience on a day-to-day basis. Now, perhaps you could say we're, you know, as believers, we sometimes feel like we're in exile because of the government or because of the culture. I mean, you certainly can make some parallels there. I think we're actually going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will dive into the rest of this passage because there's a lot I don't want you to miss. So stay tuned. So as we're talking about the prosperity of the wicked and the wicked essentially being uh, like the Babylonians that have put them in exile, uh, I think it's important to point out uh, verse four. Let me read it. It says they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. Think about this for a minute. The word for struggles is literally chains. So perhaps that's a metaphor talking about the chain of Uh, maybe the physical things that they have to do in captivity that leads to death. Perhaps it means literally being in chains. You know, when they were in captivity, there's a lot that we don't even know. Um, I mean, historically, we do know some of the things that happened, but there's a lot that we don't even know. So that word for chains, that could be literal, it could be metaphorical. And then when it says healthy, when their bodies are healthy and strong, that word healthy, the Hebrew word means fat. And so that's basically talking about how they have the choice of food, which is a sign of prosperity. And usually it was gained unlawfully, meaning they likely stole that food from those that were in exile. And then if you skip down to verse 7, where it says, from their callous hearts comes iniquity, the way that the Hebrew reads, it literally says their eyes stand out from fat. And Basically, what that means is the chambers of their heart are overflowing with fat. And um, in the NIV, it would say their evil imaginations have no limits. But in the original text, it's talking about how the chambers of their heart overflow with fat. And again, that can be metaphorical. It can be physical. It's literally saying that they just are in a completely different place. And remember, that understanding of fat that understanding of having um, 
more than enough prosperity, it's usually unlawfully gained. And so there's this sense of their hearts are overflowing with this, not just even desire, but acting out of unlawfully gaining the things that are making them prosperous likely taking them from the people of Israel, because this is, again, Babylonian captivity. And so he's calling out their violence. He's calling out their um, the way that they have robbed the Israelites of, of any hope that they had had to hold on to some sort of, um, even not prosperity, but just even day-to-day substance. That's, that's kind of the picture that we're seeing here. We see it just a couple of verses later, the ignorance, when they're talking about how would God know in verse 11, how would God know? Does the most high know anything? And those are rhetorical questions, but, but they might even be expecting an answer. What I imagine is as they are pillaging the Israelites and as they are taking whatever they want, they're probably saying like, how would God even know? He doesn't know anything. He knows nothing. And in their violence, that's probably, if it's not the words that they said out loud, it's certainly the attitude of their heart. And that's what we see throughout this whole situation of it's not just the wicked prospering, but it's prospering at the detriment of those that are following God. And then we see the psalmist in verse 13, he's talking about surely in vain, I've kept my heart pure. When he's talking about being in vain, he's starting to wonder if living for God has any benefit. And there's this such a stark contrast between the wicked and the the way that they're enjoying their success and the righteous. And he's getting to this place where he's starting to allow that envy to overcome his heart and his mind. And he realizes in in verse 14, he's talking about being afflicted all day long. In verse 15, he starts to worry about the next generation where he's concerned about that he's too consumed with it. They're going to be too consumed with it. And then we start to see a turning point in verse 17. He says, till I entered the sanctuary of God. And literally what we're seeing here is this turning point where he starts to understand the difference between what's happening in this world and what's going to happen for eternity. Now we're not told exactly what happened once he, you know, came into the sanctuary. We don't know if this is something that he heard. We don't know if this is maybe an oracle, a prophetic oracle that the priest was announcing. Maybe he experienced an a moment with God where God just kind of got on a hold of his heart. I've had that happen to me before where I have just had a terrible attitude about something and even just in obedience, I've either gone to church or, you know, started to pray about it against what my attitude wanted or against the the posture of my heart and just said, I'm mad about this, God. And then it's God and that interaction with God that changes things and it changes my attitude, it changes my heart. And so what we know is something happened and likely what happened is he went into the sanctuary and what did they do in the sanctuary? Remember, he is of the the Levite tribe. He is one of the directors. So he's a worshiper. So he likely went into the sanctuary and he went into worship. And in a moment of worship is when God got a hold of his heart. So then what he starts to understand is, okay, the wicked, they are on what's verse 18 say slippery ground. In verse 19, it talks about how they're going to suddenly be destroyed and how desolation can be brought to them at any moment. And in verse 20, it talks about um, how the wicked really are going to eventually have to deal 
with the evil that they have done because God is going to deal with it as he awakens from sleep. It's um, it's not that God is technically sleeping, but in that culture, sleeping would kind of just be a euphemism of um, God's patience while he's just waiting to see what happens. He then in verse 22, he kind of changes his tune a little bit. And he says, I was senseless and arrogant because now what's happening is he's seeing the bigger picture where he's recognizing, okay, the wicked are headed to a different destiny than I am. And, and essentially what's happened is God has revealed to him that there's a final destiny for the wicked that is much, much different than for the righteous. And that revelation really helps him because it helps him to understand and view this in a completely different way. It's much more balanced now. He realizes that he and, of course, all the other godly people are going to enjoy God's best for all of eternity. But that is contrasted with the fact that they have the greatest benefit in this present life because they have access to God's presence. And while it may in the physical look like they're under persecution, they do have God's presence as God's people. And there's, there's no price to be put on that. And so in the end, he, he understands and he recognizes and he remembers everything's going to be made right. And all of God's people are going to be victorious. They're going to be the, on the other side of this. And ultimately the wicked are going to perish. And what does that mean? I mean, the wicked perishing, it means that they have a destiny that is headed for hell. Considering how short life is, if we evaluate things from our limited, earthly, blinders-on human perspective, it's very, very easy to get discouraged. But instead, what we need to do is we have to depend on God's Word and by His Holy Spirit, understand that through faith, as we complete this journey, we have confidence that God is good and God is just. Down in uh, verse 23, actually 23 through 28, I want to point this out when it says, yet I am always with you. I think that is the takeaway for today's psalm is to think about this in terms of God's presence. Yet I am always with you. So the psalm writer is discovering that this attitude that he has this perspective shift versus the attitude he had at the beginning of the psalm. This this renewed attitude is what's going to lead to victory and it's going to lead to him feeling victorious in his faith. Because no matter what, whether it's then or if it's now, in this life, which is temporary, we have all sorts of problems, of course, but the greatest privilege as believers is our deep relationship with God. And so while wicked people may suffer, or I'm sorry, while they may prosper, we have this hope that our most valuable treasure is our relationship with God. And they're, they're missing out on that. They don't have an understanding of what they're even missing. And so if the Lord is always with us and he's guiding us and we have access to his word and we have access to his spirit and he's supporting us by his power and we're finally able to receive the gift that is eternal life. Like Paul, like many of the early church missionaries, like so many of the people that have gone before us, as we face this life's worries, our theme can be for me to live and to Christ, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
And I know that maybe that doesn't feel like a good enough answer. Maybe that doesn't feel like that's going to solve things in the physical right now. But my encouragement for you is to do, I think, what Asaph did. When we are up close to the problem and we are talking a lot about the problem and we are complaining a lot about the problem, it's really hard to get our perspective off of the problem. But when we take a step back and we remove ourselves and we take our hearts and we separate them for some moments of worship and interaction with God, there's something that shifts. There's a perspective shift for us where we can back up and say, you know what, none of this matters. And and I'll tell you, for me, there was a, there was a time, man, we, I'm not going to get into all of it, but there was a time in our lives where we were experiencing something incredibly difficult and we, we were dealing with it. It was something we had to deal with right now, today. And if we didn't get this resolved, it it was just going to be a huge mess for our entire family. And I remember just standing in the driveway with my husband and I just broke down in tears and I fell to my knees and I'm like, Lord, I am broken. I cannot do this. I need you to intervene on our behalf. And he very clearly said to me, I got this. Now, did that circumstance work out the way I thought it was going to? No, it, it really didn't. Um, there was a lot of chaos. There was a lot of, a lot of hoops we had to jump through. Um, but but what I do know is that God's spirit, he was able, he enabled me to have peace in a moment that I otherwise did not have peace. And I remembered like, it's like this light bulb went off like, oh yeah, I have the Holy Spirit to help me get through this. I'm not doing this on my own. I have his power to help me to, at the very least give me peace as I'm walking through this. I don't have to try to just deal with all of this on my own. And so what I believe happened is when Asaph had that moment with God, God reminded him who he was. He reminded him of his relationship. He reminded him of his spirit. And he reminded him like, no matter what happens in this world, you are going to be with me for eternity. I think that is what we need to focus on. And so if we are in a place where we are witnessing a lot of prosperity of the wicked around us at our own expense, like it happened for the Israelites. The key there, the way that we handle that is to worship. I firmly believe that the way that we deal with that envy or even the lament that we see is to worship. Because once we get our perspective back on God, none of that stuff seems to matter quite so much anymore. So that is my challenge to you today. And I'm going to go ahead and reread this passage with those insights in mind. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the most high have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. 
When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and arrogant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? On earth, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Father God, who have we in heaven but you? Earth has nothing we desire besides you. Our flesh and our heart may fail. But you are the strength of our heart and our portion forever. Lord God, I pray that prayer over my friends today. I pray that over my own life and my own family today. Lord God, help us to have perspective when we are envious, when we are questioning, when we are discouraged by what we see going on around us. God, help us to remember who we are and whose we are. Help us to enter into your presence, even if it's just out of obedience, but to remember who you are and through that authentic interaction with you convict our hearts in a way that we remember that it's not about today it's about eternity it's not about um, the temporary pleasures of this world it's about your presence lord i thank you that your presence is strong and that you long to meet us where we are where we are despite our bad attitudes despite um, the way that we may just talk about things so much that we lose perspective god forgive us Forgive us and help us to change. Help us to resist that temptation to envy or to just wallow in self-pity, but instead to get in your presence, God. Help us to remember that above all, we need to get in your presence. We thank you for this reminder from scripture and the way that your word continues to reveal your heart and your character and your nature to us. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Hey friend, do you feel like you need a little one-on-one? My goal for the She Hears ministry, the Hearing Jesus podcast, all the resources that we have is to really help you learn how to hear God's voice so that you can be confident in your relationship with him. And if you're struggling to learn how to identify or even overcome the barriers that you have in your life to growth, I want to be able to walk through that with you. Did you know that I'm a Christian life coach? Maybe you're struggling with something and you need some objective biblical insight or opinions, or maybe you need to work through something that feels just a little bit too heavy to do on your own. I would love to walk through that with you and land on some practical ways to achieve that goal. And so I have some limited coaching opportunities. If you go to shehears.org, there's a section where you can schedule some one-on-one time with me. I have Mondays and Fridays open right now going into the new year. So I pray that if that is something that you need, that you've been praying about that it would be an opportunity for you to take advantage of some one-on-one time with me. And again, my heart is really to help you lean into whatever it is that God is calling you to do. I pray that that's a blessing for you. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. 
friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you for God's call in your life, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you this week. Know that you are loved, you are cherished, and you are His.